Hello and welcome to the agroinnovations.com podcast, all things related and debated in agriculture, from appropriate technology to fair trade, globalization, and organics. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. Today on the Agroinnovations podcast, we're with Michael Porter, who is a fishery biologist with the Army Corps of Engineers, and he's based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, and um, Michael Porter, you are an expert in the silvery minnow, among other other things. Welcome to the Agro Innovations Podcast, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, let's start and talk a little bit about this species, the silvery minnow. It's uh, generated a lot of debate, I think, and controversy and emotion in people. Uh, could you start just by telling us about the ecological conditions under which the silvery minnow evolved and uh, the minnow's life cycle? Sure. Uh, we'll start off with uh, some basic geology. Uh, the Rio Grande Valley is a rift valley, and what that means is it has a fairly steep slope, and because of the erosive nature of the surrounding terrain, uh, normally carries a very high sediment load. And what those two factors, the steep slope and the high sediment load, do is they create what's called an aggrading river channel, which means uh, unimpeded, the river channel will continue to deposit sediment, thin layer of sediment, on an annual basis as it on the floodplain and in the channel, so that from year to year it's gradually increasing in elevation through much of its uh, reach. And uh, what that a grading channel tends to do is create what's called a braided uh, plan form, a braided river channel. So instead of being one main channel, it tends to have lots of smaller channels throughout the main part of the river, and it has lots of point bars and islands as a result. And as we get into life history, we'll see that that uh, plays an important role for the silvery minnow. Okay, being in the southwest, it's also a desert river which has been subject to drought over the past 1,000, 2,000 years that uh, we can tell from archaeological uh, sites in the region. In addition, it's also, uh, in the recent past, carried very high volumes of, of water. Uh, tourists and newcomers to the southwest are often uh, dismayed that it's called the Rio Grande, but uh, if you go back in history four or five hundred years, the Rio Grande on a regular basis carried a lot more water. To put it in perspective, right now the flow through the river through Albuquerque is about 500 to 800 cubic feet per second, or CFS. Uh, the spring peak a few years ago in 2005 uh, was regulated at a peak of about 6,000 CFS. And at that time, the river looked pretty impressive. Uh, going back 100, 150 years, uh, the peak flow during spring runoff would be 100,000 CFS. So well over you know, 10 to 15 times what we've seen as a recent peak. And that's uh, 
it's those types of events that gave the river its name. And you can see that historically in that the Pueblos did not build on the floodplain like we have in the recent hundred years or so. They built up on the high terraces because of that recurring spring flow. Uh, moving on towards to the minnow's life cycle and how it ties into that ecology, uh, current research indicates that the silvery minnow spawns on flooded surfaces. It has a, it has a semi-buoyant egg. And those eggs, when they're fertilized, are very small, but they swell up to about three millimeters in diameter. And this semi-buoyancy means that in calm water, they'll settle to the substrate. But if there's a current that comes in, particularly a current of sediment, it'll uh, kick them back up into the water column, and they'll float there for a few seconds or a few minutes and gradually settle back down again. And this uh, semi-buoyancy of the eggs keeps them from becoming buried in the sediments. Uh, let's see. From a historical standpoint, the silvery minnow probably spawned on islands, on point bars. If the Rio Grande forms some floodplain lakes uh, in the adjacent floodplain, the silvery minnows probably moved into there for spawning. And all these areas uh, had a lot of vegetation. And when they become inundated, that vegetation, there's a lot of organic matter, there's a lot of invertebrates that create a really good food supply for the newly hatched silvery minnows and for other fish as well. So there's lots of fish that prefer to use these flooded surfaces as spawning habitats and as nursery habitats. And that's one of the keys to having a healthy fishery and having a healthy ecosystem is the cycling of nutrients on those flooded surfaces provide food for young fish. The fish that spawn in those areas, they're, when they're young, hatch. They have a lot to eat for a few days. And that's a critical period for uh, what's called recruitment or production of young of year fish. So if they survive those first few days by having lots to eat, then they are capable of moving back into the main river channel and continuing to grow. So that's sort of an overview of the ecological conditions and the life cycle. Is there anything else you want me to elaborate on? Um, well, what, what, what happens to the fish after it uh, hatches and uh, you know, gets a little bit bigger? Uh, how long does it live? And um, okay. And where does it uh, where does it go? Does it migrate, or does it stay in the same place, or exactly how does that work? And what does it okay. feed on? Okay. Um, right now, the the best data indicates that they feed on algae and diatoms within the river channel. Uh, within about five to seven days of fertilization, those young of your fish have absorb their yolk sac and are ready to move back into the river. And the indication right now is that when those fish move back into the river, they stay in that same general area. Uh, they may move around during their lifespan five or ten miles from where they were hatched. But there's no clear uh, migration pattern for the silvery minnow. 
uh, lifespan. Uh, there's some data out there that indicates they may live anywhere from two to six years in the wild, uh, depending on other factors in the in the river at that time. And uh, so that you know, a lot of it depends on how stable the river is, how continuous flow is in a particular area that will determine the fish's survival in that particular area. Now, how big is this fish, and, and what does it look like? Um, a lot of people, when they, when they get excited over, over a species of fish, uh, it could be something magnificent like a tuna, but I don't think that the silvery minnow is quite that uh, stunning at first glance, is it? It's not as impressive as a tuna. Uh, the silvery minnows will grow up to four or five inches total length uh, in their lifespan. Uh, reclamation with doing some of their electrofishing surveys has collected uh, minnows almost uh, five inches total length. They're, when they're alive, uh, the name silvery is very apparent. They're, they've got very uh, luminescent scales and uh, a very silvery appearance. There's a few a few other fish, a few other small fish in the Rio Grande that uh, on first glance might be mistaken for a silvery minnow, but they're, uh, they're very distinctive once you uh, recognize the particular traits. Uh, they are very impressive swimmers. Uh, swimming studies by Bureau of Reclamation and Colorado State University indicate that uh, fish that are six months to a year old, so at about the two to three inch range in size, have a swimming capability that's comparable to a smolt salmon. So they're very capable swimmers out there. They're probably, uh, of the minnow species that are in the Rio Grande, they're probably among the fastest swimming fish. Now. Uh, let's let's talk about the relationship between human beings and the silvery minnow, um, and okay. if you could just give us a brief uh, snippets of the relationship between the min the minnow and humans uh, during pre-Columbian times, uh, during the Spanish colonial era, and now during uh, modern times. Okay, well, because of their small size, it's difficult to. Uh, say much about their use by in pre-Columbian times or during the Spanish colonial era because they're so small that uh, preserving their bones is highly unlikely. Uh, talking with tribal members from uh, some of the Pueblos, uh, they indicate, uh, some of the uh, elders indicate that uh, when they were young men that uh, they harvested silvery minnows for food. Uh, they were so numerous in the river. So uh, that provides at least some indication that uh, the silvery minnows among uh, the whole suite of minnows and other fish in the river were harvested for food uh, by the Native Americans. Now, does this uh, species appear in any historical documentation that you know of? Uh, not that I've run across, no. Okay. Now, now, how about uh, the relationship uh, between the minnow and, and people uh, in modern times? Okay. Um, 
Well, that uh, moves on to the question of why should people care about this species? And a lot of that revolves around uh, some of the principles of the Endangered Species Act. Uh, scientists recognized in the 60s and 70s that a number of species were disappearing and that a uh, number of these species were indicators of ecosystem health. Uh, one of the favorite analogies is the canary in the coal mine, that these species gave us an indication that if they were disappearing, that we were pushing these ecological systems that provide us a lot of uh, important functions. Uh, if the, these species are disappearing, that these ecosystems are in dire, in declining health, and that if we keep pushing them and abusing them, that uh, they may not be able to support people much longer after some of these species disappear. So to put it into context, uh, the silvery minnow is a desert fish, and it's adapted to a desert river. And its life history requirements of these floodplain surfaces and having water on a, uh, at least some sections of continuous running water in the river are an indicator of the ecosystem health of the Rio Grande. And it's connectivity to the floodplain, groundwater issues, and things like that. So one way to look at this is if there's not enough water for the silvery minnow, then there won't be sufficient water for farmers or for cities in the near future. Now, could you could could we take just a step back and tell us exactly sure. what's happening with the silvery minnow, uh, why it's happening, and how how we discovered the, that this is happening? Okay, um, so looking at why the silvery minnow is in danger of extinction. Exactly. Or yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, the silvery minnow formerly extended. The entire through the entire Rio Grande drainage from the mountains around Santa Fe in both the, the Rio Grande and the Rio Pecos downstream to its confluence with the Gulf of Mexico. So historically, the Silver Minnow's range was nearly 2,000 miles of river. And in the last century or so, uh, it has disappeared from most of that range and is now restricted to the 175 to 200 miles between Cochiti Reservoir and Elephant Butte Reservoir. So the Fish and Wildlife Service and New Mexico Game and Fish recognized that uh, having the minnow extirpated from 95% of its range was an indication that uh, humans were adversely affecting the silvery minnow. They may, they, when they listed the fish, they may have not really known exactly why, but the listing uh, package included things like water quality, habitat fragmentation. It emphasized the range reduction, uh, the introduction of other species of fish, and the Pecos in particular. So, you know, based on very little information, the Fish and Wildlife Service had to make uh, at least some initial judgments as to why the silvery minnow may have been uh, extirpated from most of its range. 
Now, more recent analysis points to uh, the geology, and in particular, what a function that we call uh, channel incision, and or also channel degradation. What happens is when we build large reservoirs, we build them to hold water, but they also trap sediment behind the dams into in the lakes, and this, the water that's coming out of the reservoirs, like Cochetee and Elephant Butte, has a tremendous reduction in the amount of sediment. So instead of continuing to deposit that sediment uh, downstream, the river itself starts to mine that sediment from the adjacent bank lines, and in particular starts to cut down through those sediments in the main river channel. And that's what's called channel incision. And the result is, as the river cuts down, it takes more and more water to get up onto the floodplain or get up onto the islands that are necessary for completing the life history of some of these fish, in particular the silvery minnow. And then when you have a shift in the uh, decadal climate from being wetter than normal to drier than normal, you go from suddenly having enough water to inundate some of these surfaces to no insufficient water to get up onto these surfaces. And with a fish that has a fairly short life span of two to six years, two or three or four years in a row where you're not providing that spawning and nursery habitat, the population is not replenishing itself with young of your fish, so it begins to decline quite precipitously. Okay, um, and this is kind of the classic story of a lot of, I think, freshwater species um, in North America that are suffering from very much uh, the same thing that uh, you're talking about. Uh, now, you're very actively involved in initiatives to protect this species. Uh, could you talk right. about that? Sure. Um, about seven, eight years ago, uh, Senator Domenici created uh, what's become known as the Middle Rio Grande Endangered Species Act Collaborative Program uh, through uh, write-ins and finally through legislation. And the collaborative program was created to address uh, Endangered Species Act issues, in particular the Rio Grande Silvery Minnow and the Willow Flycatcher. And this program has uh, done a number of different things. It's funded a variety of studies by Reclamation, the Corps of Engineers, the New Mexico Interstate Stream Commission, and Fish and Wildlife Service. It's funded habitat restoration, not only by these agencies, but by a number of pueblos, by the city of Albuquerque, and others. It's um, purchased water for uh, particularly the silvery minnow to keep the river flowing. And uh, to, in, by keeping purchased water going down the river, uh, it reduces impacts or avoids impacts to the irrigators in the middle Rio Grande Valley. So the collaborative program uh, 
the two main focus points of what it's done for the minnow is uh, by funding some of these studies, we've learned a lot more of the important details about the silvery minnow life history that helps us uh, create uh, more effective management actions. Uh, one of those actions uh, being undertaken by the Corps of Engineers is uh, we're looking at uh, water control uh, management deviations at Coach T Reservoir and also at Hamus Reservoir. So by working with the Pueblos, we are looking at changing the operating rules so that in years where there's almost enough water for creating the spawning habitat, but not quite, we store up a little bit of water for a few weeks and then use that additional storage to increase the peak to create uh, what we call a recruitment flow get water onto some islands and point bars, provide the spawning opportunities, and provide the uh, habitat for those young of your fish to feed for a few days and then move back into the river. So basically uh, using the river to produce lots and lots of silvery minnows. Um, and it costs a little bit of water that uh, the program will uh, uh, reimburse the uh, water users for. So it's a very uh, effective tool in that the river is much better at producing fish than we can in hatcheries. And uh, from a management standpoint, it's reasonably cheap in that we only, right now in the middle of a drought, we would only have to do that maybe half the, half the years. The other half Either there's sufficient water that uh, at management action doesn't, we don't need to store additional water to create that habitat. And then there's a few years where there's just not enough water available, no matter what we do, coming down the Rio Grande. So by minimizing the number of years where there's not sufficient spawning and rearing habitat, we can keep them in a population numbers up and uh, focus on other things that will help the minnow. The other major thing, the habitat restoration. There have been a number of cooperating agencies that uh, most of the habitat restoration has been focused in the Albuquerque area. And it's by a lot of the projects have excavated uh, areas adjacent to the river, lo making lower surfaces that become inundated at lower spring flows. And in doing so, create additional habitat with whatever flows coming down the river. Okay. Uh, and, and what are some of the obstacles that you guys have encountered to this uh, conservation effort as, as you've gone through the process? Okay. Uh, Probably ignorance of why the silvery minnow was listed, what its value is to uh, the general public. You know, it's not a, as you've mentioned, it's not a fish that people immediately associate with food. It's not a charismatic fish like a tuna or a salmon. So, you know, a very common question is, uh, why do we care? And 
understanding the ecology and understanding how rivers function and why that's why the silvery minnow is an indicator species of ecosystem health. Uh, that ignorance about those relationships, about the biology and ecology of the Rio Grande, are probably one of the are probably the principal obstacles and why there's uh, public re resistance to uh, providing water for the minnow and uh, putting this much effort into the minnow, into saving the minnow. But when you sit down with a farmer and explain, you know, that uh, that concept of ecosystem health and that, you know, as we continue to take out more and more water for different functions in the Middle Valley, that uh, if the minnow, if we reach a point where this river cannot support silvery minnows, then at some point, if we continue down that path, there's not going to be enough water to support farmers. And then they get it. And uh, that type of information doesn't get communicated uh, very well all the time. Uh, John Fleck with the Albuquerque Journal and other uh, writers are picking up on that message and getting it out. But it takes a lot of uh, education to really understand why we don't want the, the Rio Grande to disappear and in part why we don't want the silvery minnow to disappear because those ecosystem functions, groundwater. Farmers are not the only ones who depend on groundwater. There's lots of homes throughout the Middle Valley that depend on groundwater. That recharge from the river is also important for the more urban environments. So I think yeah, it's that education problem, I think, is one of our biggest obstacles. Well, we hope that uh, in a small way that by uh, doing this interview with you that we can help get the word out and, uh, you know, get more people aware of uh, the nature of these issues and how complex and interrelated they are. We are mm -hmm. about out of time, but I just wanted to uh, ask you finally uh, – Anybody that's listening to this, uh, especially that's in the uh, Albuquerque or the Rio Grande Valley area, uh, what suggestions do you have for them maybe to get more involved with uh, this conservation of the minnow? And, and not just the minnow, but uh, the watershed and food shed in general. Okay. Uh, one of the best things is to just learn more about the ecosystem uh, the Rio Grande Valley Nature Center here in Albuquerque has lots of opportunities for visitors to learn about the ecosystem. Uh, become involved with uh, some of the environmental uh, groups in the area and uh, the soil conservation districts. There's lots of people <clears throat> doing different things that may not be directly related to the minnow, but are uh, helping with uh, conservation in general. And 
those are those are the main the main ones. Okay, well, Michael Porter, with. Um, with the Army Corps of Engineers, thank you. It sounds like you guys are doing some great work, and uh, it's good to know that there are people and organizations out there that are making an effort to raise people's awareness about this, and not only that, but to take the tough management decisions uh, necessary to keep our uh, waterways healthy and and uh, and robust. So thank you very much for participating in this interview. You're welcome. That concludes this episode of the Agro Innovations Podcast. And I think one thing that this episode highlights is how highly interrelated all of these issues are in terms of a species like the silvery minnow that may have had some uh, nutritional value in the past, but not so much today, but is still uh, highly connected to the way we get our food and the way we produce our food. And also that the species itself is an indicator of the health of the ecosystem that we depend on to produce our food here locally in Albuquerque. But those of you who are outside of Albuquerque will also find that there are dozens, if not hundreds, of similar stories to the silvery minnow. We need your help to get the word out about the Agro Innovations Podcast. If you're a blogger or active on any online forums, or if you are a podcaster yourself, please give us a shout out. Also, we'd like to hear from you, your comments and suggestions. We've had some great show suggestions from some of our listeners, and uh, that just makes it all that much easier for me to produce these shows. So if uh, any of you out there who are listening have some show suggestions or just some general comments uh, or questions, we'd love to hear from you. This is the Agro Innovations Podcast. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. Thanks so much for listening. Saludos. Saludos.